Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. How many of you remember Hurricane Harvey? It wasn't too long ago. August 2017, Hurricane Harvey swept through Southeast Texas and brought along with it massive amounts of devastation. It was the most cataclysmic natural disaster in U.S. history, totaling about $130 billion worth of damage. 30,000 people lost their homes, 107 people lost their lives, and 17,000 people needed to be rescued because on that night, they found themselves in the middle of a storm. One of those families that needed to be rescued was actually mine. I'll never forget waking up at about three o'clock in the morning and seeing all of my grandmother's possessions floating around the house. They received about three foot of standing water in their home. The water, it flooded into the house, and we found ourselves just standing in the dining room watching as everything and all of her possessions were floating around. It was a total surreal moment. And I'll never forget the scene as we're all gathered together and we're kind of panicked and we're praying and we're freaking out, wondering what we're going to do next, turning over and looking and seeing my nine-month-old daughter sitting in a car seat on the dining room table while the house was filled with water. And we're just wondering, what are we going to do next? What do we need to do? How are we going to get out of this? And so as the sun started to come up, here's what I did. I climbed out a window and I waded through about waist-deep water into the middle of the street, climbed on top of a truck, and I screamed at the top of my lungs for about an hour until somebody in a boat came by and picked us up. Actually, I have a recording I want to show you right here. See, that? that's, that's my beautiful wife, Ashley, and she's holding my sweet little girl, Esther's son. And, and if you notice... Me and Ashley, we're stressed, we're tired, we're anxious, we've worn out, we're totally freaking out because we just watched everything that we have just completely be destroyed. But my, my daughter, she's perfectly at peace, right? She's got her blankie, she's got her passy, she is perfectly calm, perfectly at peace. I tell you that because I want you to know that when you're in the middle of a storm, there is a way for you to have perfect calm and a perfect peace. I, I tell you all that because today the disciples, they find themselves yet again in the middle of another storm. And that you and me and everyone in this room, in this life, we will experience, we will encounter storms. And so I want you to emotionally connect with where the disciples are at. I want the scripture to become real. I want the scripture to become alive to you. So imagine yourself in the disciples' position. Imagine yourself that you're in a boat, that you're in a storm, that the wind is against you. I want you to feel the waves crashing in all around you. I want you to be able to to experience the darkness and the clouds and the lightning and the thunder. I want you to be able to connect and enter into the storm to where you find yourself in the middle of a storm, right? Do you see it? Do you feel it? Do you imagine it? Are you there yet? 
Okay, good. Then if you got your Bible, start with it in Mark chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 45, and we're going to see that Jesus walks on the water. That when we find ourselves in the storm, what we need to know is that Jesus, he walks on the water to be with us. This is probably one of the most beautiful, powerful, and famous miracle stories in all of the Bible, that when you and me find ourselves just like the disciples in the middle of a storm... Jesus, he walks on water just to be with us. So what we're going to do is I'm going to read it all up front, and then we're going to um, make a couple observations, and I want to give you five things that you need to know when you find yourself in the middle of a storm, starting in verse 45. Mark says, immediately he, that's Jesus, made his disciples get in the boat and to go to the other side to Bethsaida, where he dismissed the crowds. Let's just go ahead and pause there for a sec. I promise we're going to get through it. But Mark, he starts by saying this word immediately. Hey, this is Mark's favorite word. 42 times in the gospel of Mark, he says the word immediately. He says, immediately Jesus did this. Immediately Jesus did that. Immediately, this is how the story goes. Mark uses that word immediately because Mark, he wants to tell you exactly what to expect when you follow Jesus. Mark, he doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't placate it. He doesn't pat you on the back and tell you everything's going to be rainbow and butterflies. Mark gets straight to the point. He wants you to know that immediately when you follow Jesus, you will experience, you will encounter storms in your life. That Mark, he, he's the most succinct and, and the shortest gospel, and he tells you immediately, this is what you can expect. In Matthew's gospel, this story, he goes into a little bit greater detail. In John's gospel, he goes into a little bit greater detail. Mark, he just tells us the way that it is. Immediately, there's going to be storms in your life. So here's what Jesus does. Jesus, he tells his disciples, he says, you guys get in the boat. I want you to head to the other side. I want you to go in the middle of the night across the sea. You're headed towards Bethsaida. What I'm going to do is I'm going to hang back here and I'm going to take care of the rest of these crowds. When it talks about the crowds, just last week, what we saw is that Jesus, he fed 5,000 men plus women and children, could be anywhere upwards of 25,000 people. It's a massive, multitude, very large crowd. And Jesus feeds them with five loaves and two fish. It's, it's a miracle. And that all day long, the disciples and Jesus were loving, helping, serving, teaching, feeding, blessing as many people as possible. And at the end of the day, the disciples, they're exhausted, they're tired, they're frustrated. And Jesus says, you boys, you look like y'all need some time alone. So you guys get in the boat, y'all head over there. And in the meantime, I'm going to come over here and I'm going to take care of the crowds myself. And so Jesus says, get in the boat, go to Bethsaida. I'm going to hang out here and I'm going to take care of the crowds. So what's going to happen next? Verse 46, the story continues. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain and he prayed. What did Jesus do? He prayed. At the end of a long day, what did Jesus do? He prayed. He's been doing ministry. He's been serving other people. He's been performing miracles. It's a long day of preaching. Jesus, he's exhausted. He's tired. And here's what Jesus does. He goes up on top of a mountain, and Jesus makes time, gets time, so that way he could spend time in prayer. When you're exhausted, when you're tired, when you find yourself in this same situation, position, then you need to be able to go and you need to pray. Just think about this. I, I thought this was so interesting, right? Jesus was so popular. His fame was so, so, so 
large and people were so enamored by him that they were pushing and pulling and they were shoving and everybody wanted something for Jesus. He couldn't get away from them. The only way that he could get alone by himself is to climb a mountain. Okay, that's, that's pretty incredible. You're like, I need to climb a mountain just to get away from all these people. Moms, you probably feel like that too at your house, right? The kids are just like, mommy, 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 can I get this? Can I get that? And you never get a moment to yourself. You probably need to go climb a mountain. Just an observation. We'll move on. So here's what Jesus does. He goes on top of a mountain in verse 47. And when evening came, so now it's night, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. So the disciples, it's late, it's dark, it's the middle of the night and they're out in the middle of the sea and they find themselves, it's the middle of the night. And then Jesus, on the other hand, he's over on the land. So they're on sea. Jesus, he's on top of a mountain and he's praying. Verse 48. And when he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Right here it says it's the winds. Okay, it's, it's the waves. This is the same language that Matthew and John use. It's a Greek word that says megos. And this word, it means it's unprecedented. It's unparalleled. It's like nothing they've ever experienced before, that the wind is against them. The waves are pouring into the boat, that it's the middle of a storm. And that they're rowing and they're straining and they're struggling and they're making headway painfully and they're not going anywhere. They're not getting anywhere. They're not making any difference. The boat's filling up with water. Their hearts are filling up with fear because all of a sudden they find themselves, they're in the middle of a storm. You and me in our lives will find ourselves in the exact same position that the disciples do, that we find ourselves in the middle of a storm, that life is dark, that life is difficult, that we are struggling, we are straining, we are making headway painfully, we're rowing, but we're not going anywhere, and we find ourselves in the middle of a storm. How many of you today, that's exactly how you feel? Okay, well, the story, it continues. And about the fourth watch of the night, according to the Jewish calendar, Jewish clock, this is about anywhere from three to six o'clock in the morning. It's the fourth watch of the night. So they've been rowing now for about eight hours. Okay, John's gospel tells us that they're about eight miles into the middle of the sea. And then all of a sudden, here's what happened. He came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. Like, well, hold on just a sec. Let's pause there for just a moment. Right, so they're in the middle of the sea. It's dark. It's late. There's a storm. Like the clouds are everywhere. They can't see in front of them. There's low visibility. The water's pouring into the boat. They're freaking out. They're afraid. They're rowing and they're rowing and they're rowing. And then all of a sudden, there's Jesus walking on the water. You're like, really? Seriously? That's impossible. I know. It's impossible. You're like, people can't walk on water. I know. I know. It's totally impossible. You're like, I don't believe it because that, that's not supposed to happen. I, I agree with you. This is unusual, which is the reason it's in the Bible. Right? We call these things miracles. Okay? A miracle, by definition, is something that's not supposed to happen. 
right? And that's why it's so unusual, and that's why it's a miracle. If this happened all the time, then it wouldn't be a miracle. It would just be like Monday, like, oh, hey, today's walking on water Monday. Get the kids ready. We're going to the pool, right? That's, 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 that's unusual. That's the reason that it's, that it's in the Bible. How many of you, when you were kids, you would go over to your friend's house, and they had a swimming pool, and you would all be playing, and then one of you would try to see if you could walk on the water. Anybody ever try that? It didn't go very well for you, did it? No, but Jesus, Jesus, he has the ability to be able to walk on the water. And, and then it says this, it says that he meant to pass by them. You think that's interesting, right? Like what, what does that mean? Why is that in there? Like not only is Jesus walking on the water, they're in the middle of the storm, they're afraid, they're rowing, it's late. And then Jesus, he meant to pass by them. Okay, what does that mean that Jesus is walking and then he's like, hey guys, what's up? Good to see you. Just pass them through. Nope. Wait, you're like, what? Seriously? Is he like, oh, you guys look like y'all are having a hard time. I bet you wish you could walk on water. Okay. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean that Jesus meant to pass by them as if he was ignoring them or avoiding them or, or, or anything like that. What Mark's actually doing here is he's using Old Testament language. Mark's actually referring to the back to the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, there's a guy, his name's Moses. He's a great prophet that God raised up to deliver his people. And as they're going through the wilderness, Moses, he, he asked the Lord, he said this. He says, God, show me your glory. And God responded to him and says, I cannot show you my glory, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to put you in a difficult place. And I'm going to hold my hand over and I will pass by you. That's exactly what Jesus is doing here. That the disciples, they find themselves in the middle of a storm. They find themselves where the waves and the wind are against them. They find themselves in a very difficult place. And it's in that difficult place that Jesus reveals to them his glory. That Jesus means to pass by them. And here's the reason why. Is that there are some lessons that are only learned when you and me find ourselves in the middle of a storm. There's some things about the nature and character of God that are only learned and discovered when we find ourselves in the middle of a storm. They weren't out there to just, just be lost at sea, but rather they were out there because Jesus wanted to show them his glory. He meant to pass by them to show them exactly who he is. So he's walking on the water. He goes to pass by them. Well, how do you think the disciples are going to respond? Hey, not very good. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. Okay, we're in a Scooby-Doo episode now, right? There's a ghost. Oh, no, there's a ghost. And they cried out, for they all saw him, and they were terrified. Okay, let's just be honest. How many of you, like, if you were to see somebody walking on water towards you, you would be a little freaked out too. You're probably not going to pull out your phone and do an Insta story about it. No, you'd probably be, you'd probably be a little freaked out because just imagine, like they're already scared. They're already terrified because they think that they're going to die. The wind is against them. It's the middle of the night. They're in the middle of the sea. They're out there all by themselves. They're totally, hopelessly alone, fearing for their life. And then all of a sudden, here comes somebody walking towards us. You're like, that's a ghost. It's a demon. 
Okay, this isn't gonna end well. I've seen scary movies. I, I know that this does not end well. I've seen Jaws. I think we're gonna need a bigger boat because this is, not, this is not how this works. How many of you, this would be you. You would be terrified. I'd be like, hey, Peter, do you have an extra pair of underwear in this boat? Because I definitely need some right about now because something's walking towards us. Okay, whenever I go swimming in the river, if something just touches my foot, I freak out. Now, if someone was walking towards us in the middle of the night, in the middle of the sea, in the middle of the storm, I would be terrified. You and me, we oftentimes find ourselves terrified in the middle of a storm. So what's Jesus going to do? But immediately, again, that's Mark's favorite word. He wastes no time. You find yourself in a storm. Jesus, here's what happens. He spoke to them and said, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. We'll talk about that. Verse 51, and he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Normally, this is where the story ends, but we're going to keep reading, because there's something else that I think is really important for us to grasp. Verse 53, when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. Wait, 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 hold on. Right, Gennesaret, I thought verse 45 said they were going to Bethsaida. Now all of a sudden they're in Gennesaret. How does this happen? How does this make sense? Jesus says, go to Bethsaida, and then all of a sudden they end up in Gennesaret. How did that happen? Because sometimes storms can blow you off course. Sometimes you have a plan, and this is where you're heading, and this is where you're going, and this is the way that you think life is going to be, and then all of a sudden a storm comes in and blows you off course, and you find yourself in a different position, you find yourself in a different place, you find yourself somewhere that you never intended for yourself to be. That sometimes life and storms, it blows you off course. So they're heading to Bethsaida, but instead they end up in Gennesaret, and the more they moored towards the shore, and when they got out of the boat, the people in that town, in that region, immediately recognized him, and the whole region began to bring their sick people on their beds to wherever they heard that he was. And wherever he came, in villages and cities and on the countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces, and they implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment, and as many touched it were made well. Immediately. Following the greatest miracle outside of the resurrection recorded in the Bible, Jesus feeding 5,000 people with five loaves, two fish, immediately after the greatest miracle, all of a sudden, the disciples, they find themselves in the middle of a storm. That they go from a miracle, and then all of a sudden, it's the middle of a, of a storm. And that's the way that life is a lot of times. That you and me, we go from one day where everything's great, everything's grand, everything's good. God is amazing. I'm living my best life. This is incredible. I went to next steps. I got baptized. I got saved. My home is filled with people and community group. My best friends are coming to faith. They joined me for church. I got a promotion. My, my kids are growing. My wife gave me a kiss. This is incredible. This is the best day. I'm living in the middle of a miracle. And then the very next day, you find yourself in the middle of a storm where everything's not getting better. Instead, everything begins to fall apart, where instead of life being happy, all of a sudden, 
life is a struggle. And that you and me, we can go from a miracle to a storm. You know, every single one of us in this life, we will experience storms. In the beginning, I told you about a storm that was very natural for us. It was a natural disaster. It was a hurricane. But for most of us, the storms we experience aren't just natural, but rather they're, they're very personal. That for some of you, today you come here and you find yourself in a storm, and your storm is more in your relationships, that maybe it's a friend or a family member and the relationship is strained. That there's a disagreement, there's a conflict, and it doesn't seem like there's any resolution or reconciliation that's going to take place and you find yourself in the middle of a storm. Others of you, your storm is in your marriage. That maybe your spouse has already said the word divorce. So when you go home from here today, not only are you walking into your home, you're also walking into the middle of a storm. There's a, there's a great big cloud in your house. It's a storm. For some of you, your storm is your kids, that you love your kids, you prayed for your kids, you would tuck them in at bed at night, you would kiss them, you would read them a Bible story, anoint them with oil, you would bless them, you brought them to church every single week, and now that they've grown up, they've turned their back on the Lord, and they're making poor decisions heading towards death and destruction, and you love them, but they won't listen to you, and it breaks your heart, and you find yourself in the middle of a storm. For some of you, your storm is around mental health, that, that for you, you're, you're depressed, and, and you're anxious, and you're taking the medication, but it doesn't seem as if the medication is working. Or maybe you're bipolar to where one day you're feeding 5,000 people and the next day you find yourself lost at sea in the middle of a storm. For some of you, your storm is financial. Okay? That you're overworked, you're underpaid, you're overdrafted, and your bills are overdue. And now you don't know what you're going to do. You find yourself in the middle of a storm. It's a financial storm. For some of you, you come here today and it's just a spiritual storm. That spiritually you feel distant from God. You feel separated from God. That you read your Bible and it doesn't make sense. You pray and you don't hear God's voice. You come to church and you don't feel like you're connected. You went to next steps and you go to your serve team and you're a part of a community group. But you don't feel like you're growing in your faith. You feel like in your life you're just like the disciples. You're out in the middle of the sea. That you are distant. You are separated. You are lost. It's dark. It's difficult. You're making headway painfully, and you find yourself in the middle of a storm, and you think, God, have you forsaken me? God, have you abandoned me? God, am I out here all by myself, all alone? Where are you at when I'm in the middle of my storm? How many of you today? That's me. I'm in the middle of a storm. If that's you, I want you to know that you're in a good place. You say, how can my storm be a good place? Because when you find yourself in a storm, there's a few things that you need to know about Jesus. I believe that 
The reason you're here today is because, God, he wants to show you something. He wants you to know that he loves you, that he cares for you, and that he is with you, even in the middle of your storm. That's the whole purpose of this story, is that the disciples find themselves in the middle of the storm, and he walks on water just to be with them. And that God, he is present with you, even in the middle of your storm. So for those of you who find yourself in a storm, and if you're not in a storm, don't worry, one's coming. So you're going to need to hold on to this too. There's five things that I want you to know from Mark about when we find ourselves in the middle of a storm. The first thing is this. You need to know Jesus's plan for your storm. Here's what it says in verse 45. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowds. Point number one is this. You need to know Jesus' plan for your storm. How many of you guys are planners? You planners? Yes, planners. You're like, I love to plan. I got a plan about a plan. There's plans within my plans. I got a, a map, a chart, a graph, a schematic, right? I have my QuickBooks open. There's Microsoft, Excel. We got a spreadsheet. We got a database. I got my moleskin. Everything's lined out. Everything's planned out. How many of you, that's you, you're planners, Hey, how many of you, you're married to a planner? Okay, yes, we will pray for you. You're like, I'm a planner. Planner is just another word for control freak. That's what it is. Hate to break it to you. Planner sounds a lot nicer, but really that's what we are is we're, we're, we're control freaks. And here's the reason that you love, love to make a plan. Because you think that you can plan out your storms. That's exactly what it is. You think if I make a good enough plan, then a storm is never gonna come. And if I see a storm, then I can just make a plan for it. And I just think, oh, okay, on August 23rd at 2.30, a storm's coming, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to pencil that in, and then as soon as I see it coming my way, I'm just going to sidestep it over here. Whew, glad we missed that storm. Okay, just so you know, you can't plan for a storm. Okay, storms happen. Storms don't care about your plans. You cannot plan out a storm. The weather person can't even figure out when rain, you can't figure out when you're going to experience a storm. So when you find yourself in the middle of a storm, instead of trusting in your plan, instead, what you need to do is trust in Jesus' plan for your storm. Right, for the disciples, what were they doing? Exactly what Jesus told them to do. You can be a Christian. You can be following Jesus. You could be in the middle of God's word, God's will, God's way. You can be totally, completely obedient to God, living out his plan for your life, and you can still experience a storm. That's exactly where the disciples at. Whose idea was it for them to get in the boat? It's Jesus. Whose idea was it for them to head to Bethsaida? It's Jesus. Whose idea was it for them to do this in the middle of the night across the Sea of Galilee, which is known for having terrible storms come up out of nowhere, and to sail across the sea in the middle of the night knowing that there was danger? Whose idea was that? That was Jesus' idea. All the disciples were doing was being obedient to the plan Jesus had for their life, and yet they still experienced a storm. Okay, for those of you, you're new Christians. Welcome to Redemption. We love you. But let me tell you this. You will encounter storms. Hey, 
It's inevitable. Some of you, you were lied to. You gave your life to Jesus and they're like, hey, life is hard. Become a Christian. It's going to be amazing. There's never going to be any problems. You're never going to hurt. You're never going to suffer. Everything's going to be amazing. There is no storms. And you're like, well, my life does kind of suck. And it is pretty difficult and it is pretty hard. And so I'm going to give my life to Jesus and maybe it's going to get better. If that was you, they lied to you. They just didn't tell you the, the whole truth. Okay, yeah, life is better and life, there is no storms and everything's gonna be peachy and everything's gonna be perfect and fine when you die. Right, when you die, it's gonna be great, right? When you die, there is no storms in heaven. It's gonna be incredible, okay? But you're still alive and so that means you're still going to encounter storms. If you get your theology from Facebook, you're gonna miss this, but here's what you need to know, that even as Christians in this life, you will experience storms. This is why James himself, he writes this. He says in James, that says, dear brothers, consider it pure joy in this life when you experience trials and tribulations. In John 16, Jesus makes a promise to his disciples. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. Okay, and here, trial, tribulation, troubles, all that is is code word for storms. In this life, you can follow Jesus. You can be obedient to Jesus. You can be in the middle of Jesus's plan for your life, and you can still encounter storms. But I don't want to make it seem like the Christian life is all doom and gloom. Like everybody, like just a lot of Christians walk around and they're just so sour and dour and they look so sad. And they're like, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm just going to go ahead and kick rocks because my life is so hard. Okay, let, let me just, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. Hey, the Christian life, it, it really is the best life. I truly believe that. I've been a Christian now for 12 years and I got to tell you, my life is pretty good. Like I, I'm... I'm actually pretty happy. Some people are like, oh, God doesn't care about your happiness. Pfft, like, God wants you to be joyful. Okay, hey, look, happy is good. Like, I'm pretty cool with happy. And, and so, like, yeah, as a Christian, I want you to know, like, it's really the best life. Doesn't mean it's the easiest life, but it is the best life. God's plans aren't always easy, but God's plans are best. And, and there's some storms in your life that could be easily avoided if you just, if you just lived according to the Bible. That if you just took God's word as it is and you were to live according to that, there's some storms that could be easily avoided through scripture, through godly wisdom, and being led of the Holy Spirit. Right? Some storms are self-inflicted. All right, let me give you a couple of examples. Okay, First is this. Research shows that um, married couples, husband and a wife, who regularly attend church and are faithful members of a gospel-centered, Bible-teaching, spirit-filled, Jesus-loving church that they attend on a regular basis, our covenant members are 30% less likely to divorce than Christian couples who don't. Did you, did you know that? That just simply attending ch church together makes you 30% less likely to divorce. The national average is nearing 60%. But for those in the church, 30%. That's, that's a storm that's easily avoidable. All right, another one is this. Um, Christians who tithe 10% first and best to the Lord, right, they tend to do better financially. And it's not because, you know, Malachi, where God opens the heavens and pours out blessings and everybody gets rich because you gave $10, God gives you $10,000. That's not the reason why. It's because when you know that, that everything you have belongs to God, 
and that he's the owner and we're the managers, you see your life as a steward. And when you put God first in your finances, you normally don't have a lot of money left over to be an idiot. And so people who tithe, who give to the Lord first and best, they, they tend to make better financial decisions because they know that this belongs to God. He's given it to me so that I can be a blessing to others. And then for you, those of you who are single, right, you can save yourself a lot of heartache and a lot of heartbreak by, by, by living according to the scriptures, by keeping the marriage bed undefiled, by not awakening and arousing love before it's time. Don't hook up, don't shack up, don't break up. Keep your hands to yourself, keep it in your pants. You can save yourself from a lot of trouble later on in life. That is a storm that is easily avoidable. And some of you, you find yourself in a storm today. And you're blaming God when it's really just your fault. Like you can't blame God for you being in a storm because you rode towards it. That you had no business being in that boat. You have no business being on that sea. You had no business being out there in the middle of the night doing exactly what you know that you are doing. It's your fault that you find yourself in the middle of a storm. You can't just be like, God, why am I in the middle of a storm? God's like, I don't know. Why are you in the middle of a storm? Right, that wasn't my plan for your life. What's your plan? It didn't go very well, did it? Now come on back, right? It's like saying like, God, why do you keep letting me keep punching myself in the face? And God's like, I don't know. Why do you keep punching yourself in the face, right? Some storms are, are, are self-inflicted, okay? But in other times, it just happens. That there's nothing you could do about it. You couldn't plan it. It's just what it means to live in a broken and fallen world. That sin has caused the world to be fractured, that we live in a broken, fallen world. And the Bible tells us that all of creation is subject to fertility, that this world is broken. It's not the way it's supposed to be. It's not the way that it should be because we live in a broken and fallen world. And then other times, you can be exactly where God wants you to do. You can be right where God wants you to be. You can be in the middle of his word. You can be in the middle of his will. You can be following his way, his plan for your life, completely, totally obedient to him, and yet still find yourself in the middle of a storm. So what do we do when we find ourselves in a storm? I want you to know this, that if you're still in a storm, that means your story is not over. No matter who you are, where you're at, what you are going through, if it's your fault, if it's just life, or if it's simply being obedient to God, no matter who you are, where you're at, if you're still in a storm, that means your story is not over because Jesus has a plan for your storm. If this story ended here, it would be pretty depressing. Amen? I mean, if this is where the story ended, if all it was was Mark 6.45, where Jesus says, okay, boys, get in the boat, head over to Bethsaida. And then a storm came, and they all died. The end. You'd be like, wow, Jesus, that's pretty messed up. And Jesus is like, that was my plan all along. That's not Jesus' plan. Jesus didn't send you out into the storm for you to die. Jesus didn't send you out into the storm for you to be defeated. Jesus didn't send you out into the storm for you to be discouraged. He didn't do it to the disciples. He's not going to do it to you. So if you still find yourself in the middle of a storm, all that means for you is that your story is not over. Jesus has a plan. So number one, we see that we don't trust in our plans, but rather we trust in Jesus' plan. Number two is this, for you to know that Jesus is praying for you during your storm. 
Verse 46, and after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on land. And when he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. So Jesus tells his disciples, okay, boys, you guys head out, get in the boat. Are you sure, Jesus? Yes, I'm sure. Get in the boat. All right, we're getting in the boat. And he says, all right, now I want you to go across the sea, but it's dark. I know. I want you to do it anyway. Right? But storms happen. I know. I want you to do it anyway. And I want you to row across the sea over to Bethsaida. And when you get there, just wait for me. They're like, all right, Jesus, we're going to do what you tell us to do. So they get in the boat, they sell over, and in the meantime, Jesus, he goes to take care of the rest of the crowds. And it says that he dismisses a crowd of 25,000 people. That's incredible that Jesus could do that. Like, I can't even get my two-year-old to listen to me, let alone dismiss a large crowd of that many people, but that's exactly what Jesus does. So all day long, he's been preaching, teaching, helping, healing, feeding, and then he dismisses a large crowd of 25,000 people, and then here's what Jesus does. He goes up on top of a mountain, and Jesus, he begins to, he begins to pray. And while Jesus is praying, the disciples find themselves in the middle of a storm, alone, where the wind, it becomes against them, that it's pouring into the boat, that the sky is dark, that the clouds are black, there's lightning, there's thunder, that the waves are billowing. The boat is like it's falling apart. It's an unprecedented, unparalleled. And in that moment, the disciples, they find themselves in a storm. And here's what's interesting. Mark here, he says that they were making headway painfully. So that means they just keep rowing and they keep rowing. They're digging in their heels. They're saying, okay, boys, let's just try a little bit harder. Let's just work a little bit harder. Maybe we could navigate around the storm. Maybe we could steer through the difficulties of this storm. And so they're rowing and they're rowing and they're making headway painfully. In John's gospel, it says that they were straining at the oars. Okay, in the Greek, that word straining and difficult headway, here's what it, here's what it means. It means torment. It's the same word that the, the demons use whenever Jesus appears to them and they cry out. They say, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. So the disciples, not only they're exhausted, not only they tired and frightened and fearful and afraid, not only are they working as hard as they can, not getting where, it also says that they're being tortured. They're being tormented. Sometimes, again, that's the way life feels like. That it's almost like it's a form of torture, that the harder you try, the worse it gets. That the, the more you press forward, the more pushback you receive. That for every step forward, you end up taking two, three, four, five steps backwards. And you're straining at the oars and you're making headway painfully. And you think, God, is this what I get for being obedient to you? God, is this what happens when I decide that I'm going to follow you? I told you I was going to get my life back on track. I was going to start going to church again. And then all of a sudden, well, me and my wife, we get in a fight. The kid's too hard to get him up in time. I said I was going to start going, but then a friend invited me on Saturday night, and I had too much to drink, and, well, I missed last week, and so I can't go back this week. And then all of a sudden, well, you know, I didn't go. 
It seems like every time I take a step forward, I end up taking five steps backwards. This is where you say, okay, God, I'm going to get my marriage together. And then your spouse walks out. You say, God, okay, I'm going I'm to get everything settled. And then all of a sudden, it begins to fall apart. You think, okay, God, here's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going I'm, I'm I'm to start giving. And then all of a sudden, you lose your job. Say, I'm going to get my finances in order, and then your car, it breaks down. And you can say, God, is this what happens? God, is this what happens when I decide to follow you? Is this what happens when I'm just being obedient to you? God, is this what it means for me to to be obedient to your word and your will and to live according to your plan, that all I do is find myself in the middle of a storm? God, have you forsaken me? God, have you abandoned me? Have you left me out here all by myself, all alone in the middle of a storm? God, where are you? In that moment, what you need to do is this. You need to look for Jesus. So in the story, where are the disciples at? Well, they're in the sea. Okay, well, where is Jesus at? He's on the mountain. And what is Jesus doing for them? He says he's praying for them. This is such a beautiful picture of our Lord and Savior Jesus. That when you find yourself in the middle of the storm, Jesus is praying for you. I mean, just just think about that. Imagine, close your eyes for just a sec. I want you to imagine Jesus right now. Okay, close them up. Okay, now you can open them. When you think about Jesus, you try to picture him. What do you you see? See, for most of us, here's what we see. We, We think about Jesus on the cross. Right, we see Jesus hanging on a cross, and that's a great picture. I in no way want to diminish the cross of Christ, because the cross, it really is the power to save. That Jesus comes, fully God, fully man, enters into this world, lives the perfect life, the life without sin, the life we could not live. He dies a death in our place, the death because of our sin, that on the cross, Jesus received the full weight of God's wrath, receiving upon himself the due penalty for our sin, that his body was broken, his blood was shed for the remission of our sin, that through him we have grace and hope and mercy and forgiveness and reconciliation and healing and salvation and redemption, all of that comes from the cross. The cross is beautiful, but I want you to understand this, that if you need a picture of where Jesus is at today in the middle of your storm, Jesus is not on a cross. And Jesus, he's also not in the grave. That Jesus, he was arrested, tried, crucified, buried. Three days later, Jesus, he resurrected. And that Jesus, after his resurrection, he ascended to the right hand of the Father where he's high and exalted. He is lifted up on that holy mountain. And here's what Jesus is doing for you. That from heaven... The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 says that Jesus himself is making intercession for us. What this means is that when you're in the middle of your storm, Jesus is praying for you. I mean, just imagine this. 
that Jesus is praying for you. This Jesus, that he is before all things, he is after all things, he has no beginning, no end, alpha, omega, that Jesus transcends everything else. He is the one in Colossians that it says he is preeminent, he is above all things, he is after all things, and by him, to him, for him, from him, all things find their purpose, their movement, their being, and they're held together by him. This is the same Jesus that knitted you together in your mother's womb. This is the same Jesus that was born of a virgin, that was the firstborn of the dead, the Jesus that conquered Satan, sin, hell, death, and the grave, the same Jesus who is high and exalted in glory, who is standing in heaven at the right hand of the Father, surrounded by every tribe and tongue and nation and angels, bowing down before him, singing holy, holy, worthy, worthy, Glory, glory, that's Jesus. And if you were to close your eyes and you were to imagine, what in this moment is Jesus doing? He's praying for you. I love you. I'm your pastor. I care about you. I pray for you all the time. But Jesus, he, he's praying for you. And I'll pray for you, but his prayer is more powerful. That Jesus himself is praying for you. So if you need a picture, here's Jesus. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. You're in a storm, I know, I see it, I'm praying for you. You feel alone, I'm praying for you. You feel abandoned, you're not abandoned, I'm praying for you. You feel lost, hey, I'm praying for you. It hurts, I know, I'm praying for you. And Jesus, he's, he's praying for you. And in a moment, we're gonna see Jesus walk on the water, which is the miracle. But it's not the only miracle in the story. There, there's one more. And it's even before that. So here's this. The disciples, they're out in the middle of the sea in the middle of their storm. And Jesus, he's all the way on top of a mountain, but yet it says he sees them. How is that possible? divine revelation. But this is the way that Jesus sees all of us. So you feel like God is distant? He still sees you. You feel like God is far? He still sees you. You feel like God is, for, oh, you are not forsaken. He still sees you. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. He cares for you. He's there for you. Jesus is praying for you in the middle of your storm. The next thing we see is you need to know that Jesus is present with you in your storm. Number three, and about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him, and they were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Okay. If you're new to the Gospel of Mark, then you, you might have missed an earlier sermon in our series, which is totally okay. We'll post it on the podcast. You can go back and listen to it. But the disciples, they were already in a storm before. Mark chapter 4, the disciples found themselves in a storm. For those of you who've been hanging out, you might remember this, and you might be thinking right now, hey, these two stories, they sound very 
familiar that the disciples were in a storm. Jesus calmed the storm. Today, Jesus calms the storm where the disciples are at. Oh, you're like, okay, like this seems, this seems very familiar, but there are some subtle differences between these two stories. Okay, so in, in the first one, Jesus, he is in the bow of the boat, right? Today, Jesus, he's up on top of a mountain. So there, there are differences. And here's what happens in Mark chapter four. The disciples, again, they're in the middle of a storm. They're afraid. And then they all of a sudden began to accuse Jesus. Sometimes storms can make you do that to where you begin to accuse Jesus. And they started accusing Jesus. And they say, Master, do you not care that we are perishing? They say, Jesus, where are you? What are you doing? Get up. You need to do something. So Jesus wakes up. He goes and stands on the bow of the boat. And Jesus calls out. And he says, peace be still. And immediately, the wind ceases. The storm stops. The sea is crystal clear, it's still, it's peace. But when I was reading it this week, here's what I noticed was interesting. In Mark 4, Jesus spoke to the storm, but in Mark 6, Jesus speaks to his disciples. Jesus here, he doesn't speak to the wind, he doesn't speak to the waves, he doesn't speak to the sea, he doesn't speak to the storm, he doesn't speak to the darkness or the difficulty, no, instead he speaks to his disciples, the ones he loves, the ones he cares about, the one he's chosen, the one that he is there with them. He speaks to his disciples. See, in Mark 4, we see that Jesus is demonstrating his power over creation. But in Mark chapter 6, we see that his power and his presence is demonstrated even in our situations. And Jesus he speaks to the disciples, and here's the reason why. It's because the storm is not what's going on around them, but Jesus knows the greatest storm in your life is not what's around you, but it's what's inside of you. It says that the disciples were terrified, that they were fearful, they were afraid. They were terrified because storms, they have that ability to make you terrified, to where you're gripped with panic, you're gripped with fear, you don't know where to go, you don't know what to do, you feel like everything is over, you're dead, you're done, you're doomed, terrified. How many of you, when storms come, that's your response? That's me, just so you know, I, I get very fearful and very terrified. Like, that's, that's my wife, that, that's my life. Y'all pray for my wife because she's married to me. And I'm a very fearful person. Anytime I get a text or a phone call, I think somebody's dead. When my you know, check engine light goes on, my transmission's out, $4,000, I can't afford that. I'm gonna have to start walking to work. I mean, I just go in the very dark places very fast. Anybody else? Okay, apparently I'm the only honest one in the church. Y'all pray for me because I'm your pastor and I need it because, because it's not going well. So y'all can just pray for me, but I tend to be a very terrified person. And when storms come, Here's what we tend to think. We say, God, remove this storm. God, take this storm away. Lord, get rid of this storm. If you could do something about that storm, that would be really incredible. God, why aren't you removing my storm? See, we want God to remove the storm, but God wants to reveal himself to us in the middle of it. That's why it has this language of passing by, that he is revealing himself to them even in the middle of the storm because there's some lessons that you can only learn when you find yourself in the middle of that storm. It's only when his presence comes and is with you that you're truly able to understand what Jesus does. 
that he wants to reveal himself to you in the middle of a storm. And here's what he says. He says, take heart, it is I, I'm with you. Take heart, don't be scared, don't be afraid, get a hold of yourself, stop freaking out, I'm with you. And then he says this, do not be afraid. The reason is, is that fear robs you of the presence of God. Fear robs you of the presence of God in your life. This is a Bible. It's, it's pretty big, 66 books. And if you were to ask yourself, what is the number one thing that God says? More than anything else in the entire Bible, what is the one thing, the one command that God has? 365 times, one for every single day of your life, the number one command in the Bible is this. Do not be afraid. And just like in Mark, normally right around it, it says, for I am with you. Do not be afraid. One for every day of your life, because every single one of us, every single day of our life, we will wrestle with, we will struggle with, and we can find ourselves in a place of fear. And so here's what we need instead. Instead of fear, we need his presence. Because when his presence enters into our situation, our fear is subsided. Instead of focusing on our present circumstances, Jesus wants us to focus on his presence in our circumstances. Because Jesus knows that the greatest storm is not what's going on around you, but rather it's what's going on inside of you. But you're terrified. You're fearful. You're afraid. So you need the presence of God. And, and you know what I find so amazing? Is that Jesus, he walks on the water to get to them. And that's incredible. He walks over the thing that was separating them. He walks over the thing that was holding them back, that was straining, that was struggling. He walks over the things that they were afraid of. He walks over them. But it also says that he, he walked through the storm. Did y'all notice that? That in Mark chapter 4, Jesus calmed the storm. He spoke to it, said, peace be still. And the storm had stopped. But here, he didn't stop the storm. He walked through that storm. See, he could have done this. He could have stopped the storm. I mean, he could have done that. He could have been on the shore and said, okay, storm, stop. And then the storm stopped. And then he could have walked on the water. That still would have been a miracle. Right? But that's not what Jesus did. He didn't say, hey, storm, knock it off. Hey, Disciples, hey, oh, boys, okay, you guys, row yourself to shore. I'll just be over here waiting for you when you get back. Okay, that's not what he did either. Not only did he walk on the water, but Jesus also walked 
through the storm just to be with them. You say, I find myself in a storm. Jesus will walk through that storm right there with you. I find myself in a difficult moment. Jesus will walk through the waters just to be in that difficult moment with you. Jesus will not only walk through the waters, but he will also walk through the storm just so that way he can be present with you. Don't be afraid. He's with you. You're not alone. He's with you. His presence is available because he's with you. But does that mean that Jesus doesn't care about what's going on around you? I feel like I just need to say this. Because sometimes people, they'll make it out like, oh, well, Jesus doesn't care about those things. Well, no, he actually really does care about those things. Jesus, he doesn't say, the storm is imaginary. Quit freaking out. It's really no big deal. No, he knows the storm's real. Jesus doesn't say, you're blowing this way out of proportion. There's not a storm. It's all in your imagination. It's just, you know, that's not what Jesus does. Jesus says, yeah, you're in a storm. Wow, I just walked right through that thing. It's pretty bad. Does it mean that Jesus doesn't care what's going on around you? No. But his primary concern is what's happening inside of you. So, you know, does Jesus care about your marriage? Yeah. Does Jesus care about your kids? Yeah. Does Jesus care about your health or sickness? Absolutely. That's why he heals a bunch of people in the Bible. Does he care about your finances? Yes. But what this shows is that his primary concern is his presence in our life. And here's the reason why. Point number four. Because Jesus' presence always leads to Jesus' power. You need to know Jesus' power in your storm. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. As soon as Jesus gets in the boat... Here's what happened. As soon as he steps into the boat, all of a sudden, the waves, they cease. The wind, it ceases. The storm is ceased. And Jesus' presence enters into their boat, and then his power is unleashed in their life. And that as soon as he gets into their life, all of a sudden, the storm, it ceases. And here's the disciples' response. It says that they were utterly astounded. Why? Because their hearts were hard. The disciples, they've been walking with Jesus now for six chapters, about two years. They've seen Jesus do amazing things, incredible things. They've even seen him calm a storm already before. They've seen him preach. Each heal, they've seen miracles, they've seen him cast out demons, they've seen him feed 5,000 people with five loaves, two fish. They've seen amazing, miraculous, mighty signs and works and wonders come from the hands of Jesus. But in this moment, Mark tells us that they still did not understand who he is or what he was doing. Why? Because their hearts were hard. Can you follow Jesus and have a hard heart? Absolutely. Storms have a tendency to do that. This is where you say, God, I'm going through a storm. I don't want to talk to you. God, I'm going through a storm. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to pray. I'm not going to listen to any worship music. I'm not going to raise my hands. Yeah, sure, I'll go to church, but I'm not going to like it. I'm not going to enjoy it. I'm not going to listen to that pastor. 
Because me and you, we're not on good terms. We're not on speaking terms. We're not on talking terms. God, I'm going through a storm, and now all of a sudden my heart is hard. You can follow Jesus, and you can still have a hard heart. But when his presence enters into your life, his power is unleashed, and here's what happens. Your heart is exposed. Storms have the tendency to harden your heart, but when his power comes into your life, then it exposes your heart. That's what storms do. And it says here that they were utterly astounded. What does that mean? Okay, that means that they worshiped. That they began to worship God in that moment, in that boat, because his presence and power met in their life. That's exactly what worship is. Worship is when the power and presence of God meet and your heart is exposed before him. See, God, he's wanting to get to the heart. He's wanting to find your heart. He's wanting to reveal your heart. And ultimately, he's wanting to heal your heart. And that's what worship does. Worship is when we stop looking at the storm and we start looking to the one who is powerful over the storm and it reveals our heart in that situation. So let me ask you a question. Honestly, seriously, how is your heart? However you answer that, your response is to worship. So how is your heart? Do you have a jealous heart? then you need worship. Do you have a bitter heart? Then you need worship. Do you have a sad heart, an angry heart? Do you have a stingy heart? Then you need worship. Do you have a broken heart? Do you have a hard heart? Then you need to worship. Say, but Byron, I don't feel like it. That's why you need it, because your heart is hard. And so you need Jesus in your boat. Invite him into your situation. See his presence and his power revealing your heart and your response is for you to worship. Let me say this. God does not need your worship. He's God whether you worship him or not. His worship isn't dependent, his glory rather isn't dependent upon your worship. His godness isn't dependent upon your worship. God doesn't need your worship. You need it. Because it's what exposes your heart. Now when his power and his presence meet, our response is to worship. And here's, here's what happens. Okay? Here's why worship is so key. It's because worship is what happens when you stop worrying about the storm and you start worshiping the one who has power over the storm. Jesus' power has the ability to turn you from worry into worship. So you and me, we worry, right? Our whole life is just worry. We're like, okay, God, I'm in a storm. The storm is so big. It's worry. Worship says, okay, God, I'm in a storm, and it's big, but Jesus, you're bigger. That's worship. 
Worry says, the storm is so great. Worship says, but Jesus is greater. Worry says, there's nothing I can do. Worship says, there's nothing I can do, so instead, I'm gonna turn to you. That I'm gonna let your presence and your power step into my boat, into my life, into my heart, and I am gonna see the wind cease, and I'm gonna be utterly astounded, and I'm gonna worship you. Instead of looking to the storm, I'm gonna look to the one who has the power over the storm because his presence and power meet, and I'm able to worship. So here's what we're going to do in a minute. In a minute, we're going to give you the ability, the opportunity for you to worship. You say, I'm in a storm. I know. That's why you need to worship. You say, but it's dark. I know. That's why you need to worship. You say, it's hard. I know. That's why you need to worship. I don't feel like it. I know. That's the reason that you need to worship. You need to get Jesus in your boat with you. You need his presence. You need his power. You need to worship him. And so in a moment, we're going to give you that opportunity for you to worship. So don't just leave after the sermon's over. Come forward, take communion, sing a song. You say, but Byron, I can't sing very good. I know. But if we all sing together, nobody's going to know that you're the one who's off key. So we're going to worship the Lord together. And if this is where the sermon typically ends... Right, this is where it is. Like, so the big altar call comes. Everybody's lined up. We're getting prayer. Everybody's worshiping and singing, and the pastor closes. That's typically where it ends. But there's one more thing that we need to be able to see, because if this is where it ends, it's still a pretty good story, but God always has more for us. So there's one last thing that I, I, I want to show you, and it's this. In verse 53, when they crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. You say, Wait. How did they end up in Gennesaret? That sounds funny. Didn't Jesus tell them, go to Bethsaida? And then all of a sudden, they found themselves in Gennesaret. Well, it's because sometimes storms blow you off course, amen? Sometimes in your life, you have a plan. You think, this is where I'm going. This is where I'm heading. This is where I'm, I'm, I'm going with my life. And then all of a sudden, a storm comes. You didn't see it. It's, it's, it's unexpected, and then all of a sudden, the storm comes in and blows you off course. You thought you were going to Bethsaida, but instead you end up in Gennesaret. What do you do when you find yourself in a place that you didn't intend on being, a place that you don't feel like you belong, a place that wasn't a part of your plan, a place that you didn't want to be at? Like, you wanted to go Bethsaida, and you ended up in Gennesaret. Sometimes storms blow us off course, but here's what you need to know. Even after your storm... Jesus still has a purpose for you. They came to the land of Gennesaret and they moored towards the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came in villages and cities and countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplace and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many touched it were made well. The storm is over. The sea is silent, the wind has ceased, their fear has subsided, their hearts are softened towards the Lord, and then as soon as they step out the boat, guess what? There's another story. Because there's always a story that comes after your storm. I thought this was really interesting as I was reading it, because originally this section was going to be its own sermon. It was going to be called Jesus Touch. 
And it was talking about how we bring people to Jesus, and if they just touch the hem of his garment, then they could be made well. And it was a whole sermon over divine healing. We believe in divine healing, just so you know that. We believe that Jesus still heals, that he can, he does, he wants to, he will. And we would love to pray for you, so if you're sick or hurt or injured or ill, you can come forward. We'd love to be able to pray for you and see if Jesus has a healing for you. But as I was doing my readings and the commentators, they all had the story of the sick and Gennesaret attached to Jesus walking on the water. I thought, that's interesting. Why is this in here? How come these two stories are connected? And here's, here's the reason why. It's because your greatest ministry is born in a storm. That as soon as the storm is over, all of a sudden, the disciples realize that there's more people who are going through storms. That there's other people who are hurting. There's other people who are suffering. There's other people who are fearful and afraid, who need hope and help and healing. That they're not the only ones who go through storms. That as soon as they get off the boat, as soon as one story's over, all of a sudden, there's another story. And that people in Gennesaret need Jesus. People in Gennesaret are lost. People in Gennesaret are broken. People in Gennesaret need healing. People in Gennesaret need hope. And people in They need to know your story about how Jesus was with you even in the middle of a storm. That your storm uniquely positions you in a place where you could begin to minister to other people. Your greatest ministry is born in a storm. Think you're going through a storm? Me too. I've been through that. Let me tell you what Jesus did for me. Some of you, your storm was addiction. And God has delivered you from that addiction, and so now you're able to minister to other people. Some of your storms were depression, that God has delivered you from that depression, and now you're able to minister to other people. Some of your, some of your storms were, were divorce, and now on the other side of that, he still has a purpose for your life. You didn't intend to be there. You didn't plan to be there. But you've gone through something that other people are going through. And so you're in a unique position to where you're going to be able to minister to them. Some of your storms have been cancer or sickness or illness. Some of your storms have been abuse. Some of your storms have been things that you did not go through because of God. You did not go through because of life. You went through because of poor choices or other people's sin against you. But I want you to know that Jesus has a purpose purpose for you, and your greatest ministry is born in a storm. Redemption Church was born in a storm. Just so you know that this wasn't my idea. Okay, I didn't want to plant this church originally. I'm glad that I did, but originally I, I, I didn't want to plant this church. See, me and Ashley, several years ago, we were in downtown Houston. We planted a church there. I love the pastor, I love the church, I love the city, I love the ministry, I love the people. I never wanted to leave because it was absolutely amazing. We served there for about three years and then we got a call from a friend of mine who also was planting a church in New York. They were regathering and they wanted to relaunch the church and so they made us an offer to move up there and help them plant a church. And so I brought it to my pastor at the time and we prayed over it because I believe in spiritual authority and so I didn't want to make a decision without my pastor being involved. And so we prayed over it together, and he said, Byron, I believe this is where God wants. I felt the same way. So we sold all our possessions and belongings, packed up into a little U-Haul trailer, and we made the drive, the move, from Houston to New York. And we drove right into the middle of a storm. 
New York was the most difficult, heartbreaking, hard, painful, arduous year of my life. I've never had a year like that. My wife went into a serious depression. We were about 3,000 miles away from all of our friends, all of our family, never got paid. It snowed nine months out of the year. The church wasn't growing. People didn't like me. And, I, and we didn't see anybody get baptized. There was struggle and strain in relationships between, between the city. And it was just so difficult, painful. I wanted to give up. I felt like a failure. And I was just doing what God told me to do. And I found myself in a storm. And I became hard towards God. I said, God, is this what you're doing for me to be obedient to you? Did you send me up here to die? Did you send me up here to show me that I'm a failure? To show me how terrible a husband I am? To show me just how poor of a pastor I can be? Did you bring me up here just to show me that I'm not called into ministry? Did you bring me up here just to show me how difficult life is. God, I'm in the middle of a storm, and my heart became so hard towards God. I was really angry. So here's what we did. Me and my wife, we just, we just started praying. We invited his power and presence into our lives. I realized I have a hard heart. We began to pray, and we began to worship. And all of a sudden... The storm was over. Our season of ministry there was over. We were released from the church. Me and that pastor, still best friends to this day. None of that was any of his fault. It was just a storm. And so we moved back home, and we didn't know what we were going to do next. God, where do you want us to go? Houston, New York, Portland, Denver. We didn't know where we were going to go, and then the Lord said, this is where I want you to be at. See, for us, we thought we were going to New York, but God knew the only way to get us to Beaumont was to send us first to New York. See, for some of you, you thought you were going to Gennesaret, but the Lord was sending you to Bethsaida. See, for the disciples, Jesus said, go to Bethsaida, but he really wanted them in Gennesaret. Sometimes storms blow you off course, but God always has a purpose in your life. That obedience will lead you into a storm that only his purpose will be able to get you through it. There's people in Gennesaret that need Jesus. There's people in Beaumont that need Jesus. There's people all around you that need your story because if you're still in a storm, then your story is not over. And as soon as that storm is over, your story is just beginning because your greatest ministry is born in that storm. I love you. I care for you. I'm a pastor. I'm excited. The greatest privilege I have, besides being Ashley's husband, Esther's daddy, is to be able to be your pastor. And I've learned to praise God for storms. They're not easy. But they are a way that God shows us who he is, what he's done, and what he wants to do in our life. For some of you today, I know you're going through a storm. I know it's hard. I know it hurts. I want you to know that he is with you. I don't know what your storm is. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's college. I don't know what your storm is. 
but I know that many of us were going through a storm. I want you to know that not only does he walk on the water, but he walks through that storm just to be with you. Jesus has a plan for you. Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is present with you. Jesus is powerful in your life. And Jesus has a purpose for you. So if you're going through a storm, listen to me. The words of Jesus for you is this. Take heart. Do not be afraid. It is I. If you're still in a storm, your story is not over. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. 